I've personally paid a lot of tuition in my life. Uh, you know, it's sometimes you pay to you know well beyond college. Sometimes you pay with your uh, with your time. Sometimes you pay with your checkbook. You, why wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? And in fact, you might say, you know what? For the for the meager amount of money I'm paying this guy, you know, a lot of a lot of times it's saving you money because the property manager, if they're good, if they're actually astute and are you know, uh, you know paying attention to what's going on at your property, what you pay is far less than what it would have cost you. Uh, if you had done it yourself. Plus, you learn some lessons along the way. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Maximizing Your Property Value. My name is John Stiles. I'm your host, and I'm pleased to have with us today Scott Pekarik. Scott, thanks for coming in. You're welcome. Happy to be here. So, Scott, you grew up on a dairy farm in uh, central Minnesota, but made your way to the Twin Cities and where you now are the owner-broker of Verde Real Estate Group. Correct. And uh, you're also a podcast host, an aspiring author, and you have a brain tumor, which we'll, <laughs> yeah. which we'll uh, maybe touch on a little bit later. But um, Scott, why don't you fill in some of the gaps there for our audience and just explain how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so I um I, I grew up on a dairy farm in central Minnesota. Uh, nearest town was I, I believe Little Rock. Uh, it had a, a creamery, a feed store, and I think maybe three residents. Uh, you know, it at the time I didn't appreciate farming for what it was and the lessons I was learning. But it was you know later on in life, as I went through you know St. Cloud State University and. 300 keg parties and lots of uh, sales training of plastic cups. I, I I realized that the lessons I learned, you know, as a farm kid, you know, you know, working, you know, eight days a week, 25 hours a day for no pay, uh, were good lessons in terms of hard work. But the uh, the evolution came when I finally got into uh, a bartending job where, you know, long hours, but I realized I could influence. Uh, my income, with, you know, through my hard work, you know, as a, as a server, as a bartender, you know, you got an hourly wage, which was usually a minimum wage, and but you always could define a little bit, you know, or, or a lot, uh, what your income could be. So I went to St. Cloud State. I was going to be an engineer, got into business, started a, an IT career back in 1998, which if you remember that back then... Uh, that was the uh, Y2K issue, 
uh, and also the internet boom, the dot-com boom was going on. So I was I was kind of a terrible student for uh, my first couple of years of college, but then I got the business MIS degree. It, it you know things completely turned around because I found out I loved it. Unfortunately, getting in IT, I found myself doing more of the programming, more of the mundane, um, in the cubicle kind of work. And not that there's anything wrong with people who do that. I think it's fantastic. You can earn a, a, just a phenomenal living and have a great life. But I felt like I was missing something. And that something was that excitement of being out with folks every day selling. You know, And, and, and selling is you know, building relationships and educating people and providing value. So someone suggested I get take some real estate courses. So I had no idea what, what was going on you know, with that. But, you know, I went to class. This buddy of mine who, uh, who owned a duplex that I was living in with him. He said, well, get your license, and then we're going to buy multi-units and turn them into condominiums. This was 2001, 2, 3, somewhere in there, like the, the whole evolution. He and his, you know, his comment was, "You need to get off the fence. You're not happy with your job, quit it. You know, do something else." So, I got my real estate license, marketed a building. You know, he converted into condominiums, and I had this great idea. I'm going to market the fact that I know how to do this, renovate, and take a rental and sell it off for maximum, uh, highest, highest and best use, right? Maximum return. And I'm going to market this to other people who own properties versus, you know, going out and trying to buy them myself. And my career took off. I did, I was working part-time at Target Corporation. Yeah, sorry, uh, uh, sorry, Lori, who was my manager back then. But I, I got so busy that one day I'm like, I have to quit because I, like, that next 12 months from quitting, I did like 100 transactions. And rode that wave through gosh, 2007, eight, until the big one hit, the, the, the big crash of 2008. And luckily at that point, you know, I, I'd owned a few rental properties, but I basically sold off most of my portfolios, condominiums, my multi-units. I had a few left over. 2008 hit and nobody really knew what was going on because we, we knew, you know, back in 2006, I knew it was coming. You know, there, was, uh, there were a lot of canaries dying in coal mines. And I decided, okay, look, this is, uh, you know, I, I barely knew what a short sale was. REO, I thought, was like Speedwagon, right? A band from the you know, 80s. Keep on living you. Is that REO? So anyway, but we, I said, okay, I, I'm going to pivot. I hired someone to, to simply just go out and sign me up for, for property disposition companies. You know, people who've dealt with bank-owned. You know, real estate-owned is what REO means, for those of you that don't know. And all this guy did was sign me up. I paid him to get me contacts and get me on lists of people who would market properties that you know banks were trying to liquidate uh, that had been in foreclosure. And it, it was a bizarre time. I mean, absolutely, we'd go into houses, you know, sad. Like, you'd go into houses that it looked like people, it looked like it was the the week after the apocalypse. And you'd, like people had just decided to get up from dinner and walk out of the house. And we, you know, we, you know, we did things like cash for keys, and you know, I, I, you know, there was there were some sad stories. There was you know, a woman who lost her husband. I, you know, I got her like double what the bank was going to offer because, you know, I felt, you know, I felt compelled to help her out a little bit. And you know, like 2009, I think I did about 200 transactions. You know, 250 in 2010. But the real 
the, the, the real opportunity wasn't, you know, selling $25,000 houses and making $400 in commission. <laughs> I know that sounds like really attractive and lucrative, but, you know, you know what, what was the, there was a law firm and they said, you know, yeah, well, we lose money on every deal, but we make up for it in volume. Felt like that sometimes in doing some of these because I, you know, I deployed like three or four people to like help me, you know, do uh, broker price opinions, property inspections and stuff. It was just inc incredibly time intensive. But what we were effectively becoming was property managers, you know, as much as marketers. And through that process, I had a lot of clients coming to me like, hey, you know, we're upside down. We don't really want to we don't really want to sell and write a check. You know, will you manage our property? I'm like, gosh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Like, I have, I've had my own rentals. They're a headache. But I reluctantly did it. And the reason was is that I wanted to be the guy who helped them in their time of need. So when they came time to sell, they would call the guy who helped them in the time of need. So slowly, like, my first property management software was uh, an Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> which was absolutely terrible. Like, it was, it was the worst idea ever. And, you know, because I didn't, like, actually – like use it the right way. Like you can make some pretty sophisticated workbooks and tie it in with access and like, you know, just crazy cool stuff using um, some of the tools in Excel, which I wasn't doing. So I finally uh, found this property uh, software called Buildium. That started getting me organized because before I knew it, we had a hundred units under management. Um, I was at a local large broker and they weren't nuts about us doing property management because there's rules, you know, with trust funds and stuff. So we basically had to run, you know, this is a primarily residential brokerage. And, the, you know, we had to run money through their trust account, which they weren't doing locally. They were doing in a regional center. And what would happen was we'd get rents that we'd send the checks in. And we wouldn't find out about the NSS if they, you know, if they bounced until like four, five, six weeks later. So imagine having that conversation with your client. Oh, yeah, by the way, the rent from June, and this is mid-July, the rent check from, from June bounced. You know, so we're trying to collect for you. You know, and, you know, the first question is, well, why are you telling me this now? Uh, so that created some, you know, some unique, unique challenges. It got to the point where we were doing, you know, we got to 150 units, and it got to the point where it just didn't make sense to say. So I'm like, all right, well, now I can do, you know, fulfill my lifelong dream of being my own broker. And, you know, that I, I did I did have, I wouldn't say dreams or aspirations of doing that. But being your own broker brings some unique challenges, right? I didn't know how to even, you know, lease a copy machine, you know. So I had to go through this, this evolution, this period of growth. This was like 2012, I believe. And, you know, was, I just remember we got rented this office space in Uptown, and it was above the Dunn Brothers Coffee and 34th and Hennepin. It was me and, and one assistant in this office. And I'm just like, okay, now what? Uh, well, fast forward three years later, we had, you know, 15 agents, I had, you know, three, three uh, full-time staff members, three or four, I can't remember, maybe, maybe five. And then we, um, we were managing like 300 doors. And then it's, you know, consistently grown every year, really throughout, without a lot of marketing. Like, you know, we are, we're doing a little bit more now than we used to, but it's all been word of mouth. We managed, you know, six or seven homeowners associations now, maybe eight. Um, and we don't take on everybody. You know, we met, we have about 500 doors of rental that we manage. Uh, one of the big opportunities, though, that, you know, in, in, during the crash is I started buying property. So you could buy houses for twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000. And now I own like 100 doors, you know, and, and through that process, it, you know, 
those were the, you know, they were the worst of times, but they were the best of times if you, if you had access to capital. And for me, you know, I, I haven't been as active the last few years, but uh, back then I was, I was very active. In fact, there was a bank uh, and a banker who, you know, if I could give him a hug right now, I would, because I was able to take, well, here's the deal. I, I had about $50,000 and I'm like, I got to buy some rental property. I got to buy these properties now because I know I can buy them for 30, 40 grand, put in 10, $20,000 and rent them out from 11 to $1,500 a month. And if I leverage that, my cash flow is going to be seven, $800 a month all in. So there was a local bank that if you'd buy a property cash, fix it up, they'd appraise it and give you 70% of the appraised value and leverage. So I remember at one point I had about, I had eight to 10 contracts out. I needed like five, $600,000. I had about $50,000 in my bank account. These were all cash deals, right? So I'm like, how am I going to do this? So uh, I got, it was just, you know, you know those, those credit card offers you get where you can pull cash out right away? Well, I would, uh, I would take, you know, I would, I filled out like 10 of those, you know, how much are you giving me? You know, I tried to do them all at once so my credit didn't get a hit all at once. And, you know, I got some money that way. I took out a 401k loan and borrowed money from my brother and just started taking down these properties and, and, and trying to get them fixed up. And a lot of times, you know, fixing them up and renovating was paint and appliances, you know, maybe flooring. So you would get a property, you, you paid 30, you'd put in 10, you get it to appraise for $60,000. So you'd be, you know, you'd be getting a check for um, $42,000 on a property you maybe had 40000 all in. It was the Carlton Sheets No Money Down program, except that I put the money down in cash. So I did that, and I'll tell you, every, I, got, I was able to buy every property but one, which was a short sale that ended up, you know, they didn't approve it through the redemption, and I wouldn't have been able to buy it anyhow. So... It was that experience that kind of, you know, gave me the, the power, uh, this mindset of, okay, now let's really go after it. And, you know, I've, you know and, and I've subsequently retraded a lot of those properties. I think we own like 50 single families and we've traded them into, you know, you know, better addresses, you know, more, you know, you know, higher value properties over the years and, and, and continue to do that and, and, and move up. Um, but it, 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 it's one of those things where you change your mindset um, and I'll step back a little bit. I don't mean to, to uh, pontificate, <laughs> but uh, you know, like one of those watershed moments of my life was um, in back when I decided I wanted to get into real estate. I read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad, and you, you talk about shifts in mindset. That book, you know, I came from a, you know, love my, I love my parents. They're they're good people, but we had a, we had a, a, a mindset of scarcity right? You know, versus that of abundance and prosperity. And that can really limit what you as an individual uh, can believe is possible. You know, John, I'm sure you know, like, you know, it's, it's, it's you, you, if you don't believe it, you can't achieve it, right? We are, you know, once you've discovered the power of intention, like I, you know, if I intend to be, you, you can apply that to any part of your life. In business, you can apply it to you know, your spirituality, you can apply it to health, you know, my intention is to be a, you know, healthy person. Well, what does that look like? All right, well, you know, working out every day, what does that mean? You know, and, and, you, and the more you can define that vision, the more likely you are to be able to get there. But it starts with just, you know, dropping those limited beliefs and unlearning what you've been taught in a lot of cases. So, and I'll give you a great example of that. I was, uh, I, and this is, these are the easiest questions you've ever asked anyone, aren't they? <laughs> Because you, you, you're like, I just keep going. 
Yep. Go ahead. All right. So <laughs> the the um, back in I believe it was two thousand two thousand one. I was working at Target in their IT department, and there was this guy, Keith. Uh, Keith was your last name. Oh my gosh, I can't remember it right now. Anyway, he was just a wonderful person, and he came up and he's like, "Gosh, Scott, you're always working so hard." And you're, you're just such a great Java programmer. And those of you that don't know what Java is, it's a, a programming language, Sun Microsystems, uh, back in the 90s came out with it. And um, you know, Java's claim to fame, they had the, the Java virtual machine, you could basically run it on multiple different devices and it wasn't uh, dependent on you know, mainframe computing like the OS 390, whatever. It, it, it became a very popular uh, object-oriented programming language. Well, the great thing about you know, Java was, it was, it was hip, it was cool, it's what everybody wanted to know at the time. So he's like, Scott, you should go interview at St. Paul College. They got a, they're looking for a Java teacher. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I barely know how to spell Java. Like, I had, I had very little, like, I, I knew nothing, okay? Nothing. Like, I knew a little bit, like, hello world, I couldn't get to work, which is always the first program you learn, where the screen just says hello world. Anyway, so I go interview, I'm like, screw it, I'm going to go interview him. I'm not going to let this guy down. So I interview, they give me the job. So I got a 17, it was like a 16, 17 week course in Java programming that I just agreed to teach and I knew nothing. So I got the book, I had to set up the, the, the computer, the, the, pro, the, the, the database for everyone, uh, the, you know, get everything loaded in their, in their uh, Sun Microsystems computer, their Unix system, which I had no idea what I was doing. I finally figured it out. And then I stayed one week ahead of the class in the book. <laughs> and but the whole time was a belief, like, you're going to do this. You're going to get through this. That and a lot of guest speakers who really knew what they were talking about. And the way I, you know, and that was really good for the students because I brought in real-life people who they could uh, network with and hopefully help get a job after, after they got their degrees and stuff. So, uh, you know, the power of intention and belief, you know, truly, truly powerful, you know. Teach a class on something you don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to learn it. Yeah. Oh, very good. So, well, why don't we bring this back to your management company today? Um, what would you say? I think you mentioned you have about 500 doors that you manage, or yeah. what would you say it is? And then what would be the kind of ideal clientele? Is it uh, a lot of single families, multifamilies? That's a great question, um, and you really need to define, you know, who you're, you're going to serve and when, you, when you get into any business, really, because if you say, I'm going to do all things to everybody, that ends up many times just creating chaos and catastrophe. Um, for, for us, we're the small to medium-sized property. You know, we'll do the single families. You know, we do a lot of that, uh, condos, townhouses. We're not set up to do large community management. You know, I think, I think our, our biggest right now is about 30 units. So, and, and it's, it's really manageable, and our, and our team is, is well-suited for that kind of management. Um, I will tell you, we, we do have a, a, you know, we have standards of what we're going to take for an owner. We don't want everyone. You know, there are some, again, great people who've got a business model where, you know, they don't want to spend any money. Their goal is to every month, like, you know, if they get a $25 uh, maintenance fee, they're, they're mad about it. And, you know, that's fine, but that's not a fit for us. Like, I'm a believer you should be doing at least annual walkthroughs, you know, preventive maintenance walkthroughs in your property, probably, you know, in the fall for at minimum, you know, in, in the fall being, you know, August, September, you know, before it gets cold, you know, checking furnace filters, boiler, uh, water levels, you know, for leaks, our tenants disabling smoke detectors, 
you see rot, you know, like, cause that, that minimal investment will, can save you thousands of dollars. And that's the philosophy I have on my properties that I own. And I, and, and that's what we have as an expectation for uh, the people we work for. And we, because we believe that's one of our core values. If, if you do, you know, if you do uh, an ounce of prevents, an ounce of prevention is a, is worth a pound of cure. And you, know, you can apply that to many areas of your life as well, you know, but the, you know, and, and we have had, you know, people we've turned down because they don't share that philosophy. And sometimes you don't know that until you're a few months in or even sometimes a year and you, and you, in some of those relationships we have to sever because it's just not a good fit. It's like wearing a glove that's too tight, you know, get a different glove and, and that's fine. Like I, I, I respect anybody who wants to run their business a different way. Um, but that's not who we're looking to work for. We're looking to work for people like, you know, re- you know, we have competitive fees. We have, you know, 24 seven maintenance services, you know, and we, and we encourage, you know, the property inspections once, even twice a year. Uh, because I believe that your, your tenants are a reflection of your properties and vice versa. So, and if you, you've got to be really careful that you don't get into that, that death spiral, you know, where, you know, you let your properties go. Suddenly, you start lowering your rental standards, and next thing you know, you got a, you know your your property has a virus. You know, it's a virus called bad tenants, mm-hmm. and they infect the whole place like a cancer. And you you know, and and I've seen it happen to different people. And I've come into situations where owners have let it happen, and we've had to clean it up. And it's it can be brutal. You have to you know basically, you know, I did a couple last year. You know, a couple uh, it was eleven unit or twelve unit where. You know, I'm like the owner. I'm like, your, your rents are 25% below market. You know, like, show me his rent roll. He's like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, well, let me look at your units. Well, it took me about eight seconds to know why. Okay, his building wasn't maintained on the exterior. The common areas were garbage. He had a caretaker wasn't doing the job, you know. So first thing we did is we fired the caretaker, kicked him out. Then we just started methodically going through the list. Okay, who's the, uh, who's the rottenest egg here? They're gone. And then, you know, and then you know, I told him you're going to have some vacancies. It's going to... You're going to have some pain, all right? And, you know, that was embodied by the fact that we were one month in and, and the SWAT team shows up, you know, to get the drug deal, you know, with, with oh, you know, and you're getting complaints from the neighbors. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. New sheriff in town, give us one year. And sure enough, rents are up 20% already. Uh, we've gotten rid of every problem. And, and now the, the, the one who's the, new, the, the biggest problem would have been the best tenant last year. So we're getting a rent up, less headache, less turnover, less complaints. Um, you know, working on a second building that we're about halfway through on that. And I know it's a lot more work for us to do that, but you know, it, it's always you get that satisfaction when you're done and you get a client for life. Then and they're like, you know what, you did that like incredibly reasonably in terms of fees, and now my life is much better. Plus, I don't, I'm not dealing with the headaches. You know, so. You know, we'll take on the we'll take on those properties, with the understanding it's got to be by our program, it's our standards. A lot of times these places, you know, when they're smaller, they they got caretakers who are renting to anybody, uh, who aren't maintaining the properties because the owners are absentee, they're not checking up on them, and you 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 do yourself a, a great disservice, right? And you definitely don't want to get on the wrong side of the municipal authorities whether it be the police department or, or whoever else that you're annoying, right? Because suddenly, you know, if, if you're on their bad side, you know, suddenly you get a lot more inspections, right, and fines and stuff. And, you know, and you want to have a symbiotic relationship with the municipality. Even 
if you don't agree with what their policies are, you know, you have a choice. You're, you own a property in this neighborhood or this city. You know, those are the rules. Yeah. You can't play Monopoly by your own rules. Right? Or you can, but then, you know, if I get the board flipped over on you. But... <laughs> That's so, my wife's favorite go-to move when I beat her, by the way. <laughs> well, I love that example of repositioning that property. Um, you know, a lot of people just focus on buying the property or selling the property. But there's all this time in between where there's managing the property. And um, what would you say are maybe some of the key ways that owners mess up in, in management and just let things get out of hand? Well, I, I, number one, not being realistic about uh, where your rents are. You know, and, and I'll give you an example. So you know, the market is the market. And the market is subject to fluctuations, even 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 you know even micro ones. Sometimes you know we'll have a you know we'll have a huge demand for four bedroom units one August, and then the next August, like it'll be half that, right? So you have to you have to constantly be reevaluating and, and looking at these little you know little bits and pieces of data and understanding the flow of the market, right? And it it, it it's 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 very it's very intuitive to people that are doing it every day. You know what's going on because we get that constant feedback, uh, notices. You know how fast things are renting and stuff. Not just in one location, but multiple locations. Many uh, sometimes owners get a little myopic. You know they it, you know they're, they're they're so focused on their building, and they're not you know reaching you know they're not reaching out to professionals to help them out. Like the the, the benefit of having five hundred plus doors. Isn't the 500 plus headaches, um, which you know they're there, but you know, well, actually, it's only about usually it's about five percent are headaches, right? The rest are just awesome. And it, but but what owners a mistake they make too is sometimes overvaluing their property based on its current condition. Now, we've all seen, uh, well, most of us see that that there's a comic where they have you know how you see your property, how the appraiser sees it, how the bank sees it, how the tax collector sees it, right? Yeah. Well, you know. I've walked in situations where the owners are like, well, you know, I, I want to get $1,800 a month for these units. And, you know, you, you walk in them, the, you know, the fridges, you know, the, the, the appliances predate space travel. And you're like, okay, like, yeah, you can do that. But, you know, first the shag carpet has to go. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa's remains are in the backyard and they're half exhumed. They should go. Uh, in fact, you could probably make some money if you found them. Uh, since if we can identify that as Jimmy Hoffa, you know, so let's let's clean up the bathroom. You know, it doesn't look like a, you know, like you know, Archie Bunker is here sitting in his chair as we're trying to show the place. So you you know, like you say, yeah, yeah, you can you know maybe get it. It's having an unrealistic um, expectation for the rents, and, and you know how they get it? They rent to like to lowest common denominator people who come in because no one else will rent to them. So then you have all those headaches that that come along with that. I mean, yeah. The people that are willing to pay above market are the people that no one's willing to rent to. All right, the good ones are gonna, they have lots of options and you should be dang happy to have them. So that's one thing, not, not getting their properties improved and not being realistic about rents and then, and then compensating their uh, rent, above market rents by putting in undesirable people. And you gotta have like straight talk with these, with, with these landlords, you know, because, and, and sometimes it gets you thrown out of the room. Like they'll say, yeah, I don't wanna talk to you. That's okay. I'd rather have that discussion up front. Be honest, because you know what you're doing. It you're, you're you are you have their best interests at heart. And some people, 
I have a joke. I'm like, I say we all, we're all liars, right? Everyone or every person's a liar. And the person they love lying to most is themselves, right? And we all, and, and some people, they, um, you know, they, they, you know, you keep, you keep a bunch of enablers around you that are also telling you the same stories, right? But, you know, my job isn't to tell you the stories that you want to hear, you know, and, and, you know, my company's job is to come in and tell you the story that's going to help you out, right? It's called, you know, it's called confirmation bias. You know, I think this, so therefore, you know, everything that's happened supports my position. No, 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 no. In fact, like, I have my properties managed by the same people that manage my clients. I have the same maintenance people on my properties. I have the same property managers. You know, I have the same systems in place. And the beauty of that is, you know, some people say, well, Scott, you know, am I competing with you? No, you're not competing with me. Each property is unique. Each property is, you know, its own location, its own condition, you know, whatever. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're no more competing with, you're competing with the, with the market, period. But with, you know, having my properties managed, it gives me insight into how do we get better? Because that's the key is like constantly improving that, that, that idea, you know, will never be perfect. And those who strive for perfection are going to live miserable lives. You're going to be miserable. You know, work on progress every day to get a little bit better. Yeah. Your system, you can fine tune a little bit, you know, every day, you know, we can make our systems more efficient. We don't have to give our property owners increases, right? Because effectively we're being paid more if we're spending less time in the process, you know? Yeah. It's interesting what you said about um, just because you're charging more rents doesn't necessarily mean you're getting a better tenant. Right. You know, I think we often think, well, if it's a lower rent, it's a worse tenant. If it's a higher rent, it's a better tenant. But not necessarily the truth. The inverse is actually true in many cases, right? And the the, the, the amount of rent, you know, the market, the, the good, the best tenants, I would argue, pay below market. They don't get as many increases, you know, because I'll tell you, there's nothing better than a great tenant who stays for 10 years. Nothing like in the world. If we, we forget about these people, in fact, what I'm doing this year on mine, the ones that have been really good, and have proven to be, you know, and not complainers and whiners. They're all getting a fifty or a hundred dollar gift card with an invitation to, to, you know, one give us some feedback. Um, number well, number one, thank you. There's gratitude there. We appreciate that. And these are people that, you know, they may be pointing out a lot of maintenance concerns. That's great. I just as soon learn about them up front. And what we're doing is we're creating this idea of reciprocity. So if you do something kind for your tenants. And that's not to say that you want to, like, you know, bend over for them, you know. Like, if, you know, that's, I, I don't ever, like, talk directly to my tenants because I'm a little too nice. Um, I want to be liked like everyone or most people. Some people don't like to be liked. I do. Um, but I want, I, you know, I want them to like me, and sometimes I'll make poor business decisions. You know, there's, there is one guy who I, I've made the mistake of talking to. He thinks he's my friend who I should have kicked out five years ago, and he's still renting from me because he's always late, but he always pays a late fee. But anyway. Yeah, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but you know we're we're actually showing appreciation to the good ones this year for the first time, like real appreciation by giving them a gift, and then but also asking for something in return, and that is, can you keep an eye on the property? If you have any maintenance issues, can you go to this site and give us some feedback about how we can be better? And you know, and if you really really want, if you want another uh, gift card, go give us a good review, yeah, you know, on these sites. And that's, you could say that's bribery, but what it really is, is it's opening the doors of communication and it's also showing gratitude. You know, to, for people who probably never gotten anything from their landlord before. What does that do? Well, heck, they'll, they'll probably stay longer. Like, 
in, our, in my property, which means I have less, less turnover. And less turnover means less expense, right? Which less expense usually means more profit. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we want, you know. So, yeah, I would recommend everyone try that out. That's my tip for this year. You know, show some gratitude. Uh, this concept of uh, Robert Cialdini, uh, Cialdini, 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 whatever. Robert, he uh, wrote the book Influence and the book Persuasion. And he talks about this, you know, this this principle of reciprocity. It's not, you know, other people, you know, written about it and talked about it. But, you know, you know, and, and you know, like you have a podcast show, you bring it on people. That's That creates gratitude, right? And then it creates this, uh, this, this almost indebtedness. Right, like people want to do something, you know, life, life gives back to the giver, all right. And there was a study done a few years back on waiters working in restaurants, high-end restaurants, and these waiters would go and they'd, they'd leave the tab, and they're trying to figure out, well, does you know doing something nice increase tips? So what the waiters did is when they brought the, the bill, they added a mint for each person at the table. You probably see this, you know, happen in a lot of restaurants now. Well. They found that the tips skyrocket. Well, then they tried it. Well, what happens if we do two, two mints? Of course, tips went up again. Well, then they added a twist. The waiter would go to the table, waitron, waitress, waiter, whatever, leave the bill with one mint each person. Turn away, pause, turn back, reach into their apron, and drop one more mint per person and say, for you guys, two mints. Tips skyrocketed again. So there's all these things that you can do. Like if you want to build, um, you know, you got to be careful. You don't want to be too generous because then suddenly you're there, you know, they're their rich uncle. <laughs> so I don't know. Try it out. We're, I'll be interested to see what happens this year. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think uh, it's really important for us landlords to, to appreciate our tenants. You know, they're the ones that are the engine running this business of having a rental property. You know, without tenants, uh, it's not a very profitable business. So showing them uh, appreciation, gratitude, like you've talked about, is really important. Um, is there other ways that you've kind of increased the uh, community, uh, sense, sense of community at the property, or just encourage the tenants to really enjoy living at the property? Yeah, I, I think a lot of that is communication and 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 being open to feedback, even if it's criticism, like, you know, we, we've, uh, and, and this is a twist, like we would send like, you know, kind of a more informal questionnaire and there's better tools that, you know, we're going to use this year. Um, we're going to use MailChimp so we can see actually the number of opens and the survey can be integrated with that. And you can do like survey monkey if you want to, but you want to, you want to have this, you want to be able to track, you know, you want to be able to track and see, okay, who opens my messages? Who is like what? What are you know? What is what is feedback you get? You know, you know. Once in a while, you're just gonna have lunatics, right? Like, like you know, I've been a lunatic at times in my life. Um, probably my wife would argue all the time. But the the the, the reality is is that you know you you want to just have clear and open and quick communication. I will tell you, there is nothing I demand more from our for our from our team is to respond quickly. I don't mean respond with an answer quickly, because if you don't know, you don't know, and you don't need, and you don't want to fake it. But respond. You know what? I'm not sure, but I got your message. Mm -hmm. Okay, I hear you. I appreciate it. Give me X amount of time to get back to you. And I don't say I'm gonna get. Don't ever tell people a number that's impossible, right? You, you, you know, 
there's a guy, uh, Chris Voss, all right? He wrote the book, Never Split the Difference. I had the pleasure of uh, being in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago, and I got to meet Chris and hang out with Chris. In fact, I even got him to sign a book for my brother, Jeremy, uh, who's a big fan of Chris. Of Chris. And Chris has this, this phrase. Well, number one, it's, you know, he says if you smile, you're 31% smarter because your body, you get a dopamine hit when you smile. It also helps to laugh. That makes you smarter too and happier. But the, uh, you know, he has this thing, this thing, he says, you know, predictability builds trust. All right. Predictability builds trust. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you say I have 24-7 maintenance and a tenant calls at 11 p.m. and nobody answers the phone, guess what that does? That builds a lack of trust. If you tell someone I'm going to get back to you at Tuesday at 2 p.m., you better get back to them at Tuesday at 2 p.m., right? Or you say, or at the latest and, you know, impress them by being quicker. But what you're doing is you're setting the frame and you're setting the expectation. Now, that can be very, very powerful in building trust, you know, setting a time and setting, you know, an expectation. But it can also destroy you if you don't follow it, right? So with tenants, that's that's part of the deal. Like maintenance people, you know, Trust me, we struggle with this as you know as much as anyone finding you know great maintenance people, which, and we and we pay our people above market, but that comes you know well above market, but that comes with an expectation, like when you're going to a property, make sure you're calling ahead. If you say you're going to be there between eight and noon, and and something happens, communicate either to the office or to the tenant directly why you're not going to be there. You know they have busy lives, they have commitments. The worst thing you can do is not communicate and not, you know, people are very understanding. You know, if you apologetic, show empathy. Hey, I know you probably took today off to be here. I'm running behind. Um, you know, stove blew up on me and I'm on fire. Whatever, you know. Uh, you know, my, my, my 15th aunt just died this month, you know. But, but you know, just building that, 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 you know, being reliable, being predictable and building trust. That's, that's huge. And, it's, and it seems really easy, but it's, it's amazing how many people don't follow that, particularly in the property management industry. So that's my, my never ending quest. Yeah. So, well, that's, that's really important. Setting expectations and then following through is really important uh, with, we're communicating with our tenants, with our vendors, with the owners that you work for. I'm sure it applies across the board. Absolutely. Yeah. The owners, you know, the owners are your lifeblood, just like the tenants. And, you know, you, if you don't, you can never, I, I don't, unless they tell you, don't, well, I have several owners that they say, don't contact me, ask Scott what he would do, you know, right. and, and, that, and that's where we try to, you, know, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, you know, I, everyone in my office knows what I would say, so they can just do it, unless it's something, a real doozy, but, um, but, you know, that's what we want to get with our owners, where they just, you know, they, because we really are looking out for their best interests all the time. Um, what level of communication do you want? And that's what we strive to, you know, to achieve or, you know, actually not achieve, but do better than. And many times the, the owners are like, okay, once we've have a relationship, they're like, we trust you guys, you know, let me know if it's something major, you know, let me, and, and I always tell people, look, don't bring problems, bring solutions. Cause I mean, if we, I know if you're calling me, there's a problem. <laughs> Help, give me options, you know, and tell me why, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's where we add value, you know, qual qualify what it is we recommend that you do. And people may not agree with our recommendation, but at least they have as the facts as we see them. Yep. So. Well, that's another great tip. You must have, have you read the book uh, Clockwork? 
I have not. Okay. And he talks about you know, systematizing your business. And then I believe it's that book where he talked about empowering your employees to make decisions and come up with solutions like you just talked about so that you're not just, you know, making decisions for the people that are supposed to be working for you. Well, that, and that's, you know, that, there was an evolution for me on that. Like, uh, and, that, and the biggest one came this year in April where I, I went to something called Warrior Week. It's a Wake Up Warrior um, Wake Up Warrior, it's based in California, and um, it was a personal development thing, you know, for, for married business owners who have kids who were looking to, you know, next level their, their lives, you know, in, in, in the areas of your marriage, your relationship with your children, your wife, uh, spirituality, you know, whatever that means to people. Some people that's religion, some people it's, you know, something else. Um, and, and, and my positions on that have evolved throughout my life, you know, raised Catholic and then you know, went out in the woods for a long time, you know, at their college and whatever. And, um, you know, and, 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 you know, having better health, you know. So one of the big things, one of the most um, monumental shifts for me was going out to California for five days and shutting my phone off, not looking at responding to or acknowledging an email, text or voicemail. You know, I did set up everything so that people got a message. Um, as, as many as I could prior, but if they got a message, you know, they were, hey, you have this issue, call this person. Here's their phone number, email. Um, this is their backup. You have this issue. Here's the person. This is their backup. And I will tell you, it was so liberating to come back. The business ran better, probably, than if I was there because I had created a dependency on myself for so many things that people knew, knew how to solve, and I empowered them yeah. to make those decisions. And there's a guy named Dan Sullivan with Strategic Coach who basically, you know, I'm a member of now, you know, trying to be better. I'm like, I'm, I'm committed to being better every day. I'm not trying to hit home runs. I'm just trying to be a little bit better. And that, you know, that, that empowered moment of just like, hey, I stepped out of the business. The business ran awesome. You know, when I, when I came back, I said, okay, I'm here as a resource, but I want you all to like solve these problems just like you did when I was gone. If you need me, of course they need me sometimes, you know, like sometimes they just need to know I'm there, you know, so. Yep. Very good. So uh, circling back to the rental properties, um, we know that with investment properties specifically, you know, the value of it is based on the NOI, income minus expenses. What ways have you found to really increase that income, decrease those expenses so that the value of the property is maximized? Okay, um, I, great question. I I don't have an answer. No, just kidding. I have several answers. So the the one way is through utility apportionment, and I know this is something that larger complexes do. Like you know uh, you know communities, you know when they're two, three, four hundred units, a lot of people use you know things like RealPage for software. Um, I think Propertyware has modules. You know, like there's a lot of there's a lot of software that's set up for you know massively large communities. You know, and I say that I mean I need five hundred units or so. And that's a different kind of property management, you know, that usually you know, always has on-site staff, always has, you know, people working it. You know, I'm not aware of any that don't. But the smaller single-family, small multis, medium-sized multi-unit people haven't been doing that. And what is utility apportionment? Well, basically, you take the water, sewer, trash bill, and you split it up, uh, and you rebuild it, basically. If there's, you know, it's usually single-meter service on most of the older properties. I know some of the new stuff there. They're putting meters on per unit and stuff so they can do that. And it's you know, much more automated. But with the older properties, it's pretty rare that there's anything like that. So 
what, what you have to do, so there's a, a few steps. So number one, when someone's going to lease from you, you have to give them the, the history. I think it's 12 months in Minnesota. And we, we give as much as we have. Like sometimes that's two years. We, we don't care. We, we, we want to we be as transparent as possible. So we, we show them what the history was so they can see the averages. And then we tell them the method of apportionment and how they're going to be built. Meaning, okay, you're, you've got a two-bedroom. You're going to, and this is a fourplex, and they're all two bedrooms. Everyone pays 25%. Uh, one thing, you know, people always try to trip you up on the laundry. If you're making them pay for laundry, like, well, what about the laundry? Use water. So you know what? You are renting the machines. Now, some, sometimes we'll say, okay, we're 22.5%. We keep, you know, 10% back for the laundry machines. It doesn't really matter. Pick a formula, disclose it up front, and then charge the utilities back to the tenants. So, and you find that, you know, say the rent's $14.95 plus you got to pay water, sewer, and trash. People don't even think about that. So suddenly you've taken that $200 a month water bill and now you've monetized it. All right. So that's one thing I've done. Heat is a little bit more difficult, not in terms of the, the, the math. It's a little more challenging in terms of you get complaints on, oh, these windows are old and stuff like that. And to that, we generally just say, look, you saw the unit. You saw the history. Um, you know, this is just, this, it, it is what it is. Like, you know, it's not, a, it's not new construction, apparently. You know, apparently you, you realize that now you're, you're better off if you put something like that into the, you know, into the lease right away so you can, like, you know, tell people, look, this is an older building. You understand the condition of the windows and the insulation are what they are. Now, the city of Minneapolis is coming out with some new energy disclosure requirements, which I'm not going to talk about today because I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it means, and so are they, from what it sounds like. So, if, you know, so you know, that's an ongoing thing. It'll be in my newsletter once I, I, I have some more clarity. I, I tend to not, I don't like to, uh, I don't mind swimming beyond the break wall, but I want to make sure I have a life jacket in case I, I start cramping up. So, so utility apportionment's a, a big one. That's for cutting your costs. And what's amazing with that is how much uh, more responsible the tenants are in the water. Your actual water use will go down. You know, and they're suddenly taking three-minute showers versus, you know, letting it warm up for 30 minutes and then taking a three-minute shower. Um, they're letting you know when there's leaks, you know, right away. They're letting you know. It just, it's just really healthy for properties to do that, yep. you know, particularly with the water, sewer, trash. Uh, as far as, like, maximizing your rents, kitchens and baths, kitchens and baths. And, you know, just make sure your appliances, like, people always say, I like showing your stuff, Scott, my leasing agents, because you obviously have nice kitchens. That's what people want. If I'm going to be eating in it, you know, off of it, I want it to be nice, you know. So yeah. I'm, yeah. I've been, you know, cycling, you know, granite and stainless steel appliances through all my, you know, I have a lot of BC, you know, mostly C, you know, great properties. But spend the money on the kitchens and bathrooms. That even might, you know, if you've got a lousy tenant, and I don't mean lousy and like they're this nasty, but in terms of um, they're messy, right? You can't, you cannot uh, legislate hygiene. Some people just got stinky shoes and stinky clothes and dirty dishes and things. Sometimes, you know, it's better to let those people move out, clean a place up, and then show it. Yeah, you lose a month's rent, but you end up getting, you know, $150 more a month so you get it back. So stuff like that, just, just being aware of what's going on at the properties, if they're, you know, cleaning out the exteriors. Time of year, seasonality. Why I don't allow uh, my leases. It used to be to expire past September 30th. I'm moving it to August 31st. Yeah, it creates a little bit more of that, you know, warthog going through the uh, the Python effect with you know extra work on those months. But I get better rents between March and August. Mm -hmm. 
I do. I just I, I get five to ten percent or more, and uh, you know you want to fish where the fish are biting. Yep. All right. Like so, keep that in mind. You know, some people they say I only do month to month. You have your reasons. I do. You know, you, you know, year plus. You know, if I've got something now, we've got some new clients we just brought on, and we're you know we've probably got a half a dozen vacants with these new clients. You know, and, and we're going to work on them. But I just you know I, I tell them all up front. Look, we're going to do a lease of a minimum of three months to get to make it end. In March, and then we'll renew them, or you know, eight months. You know, if they start in in uh, January, nine months if they do, and they start in December, or get them through to 2021. All right. Why is that? Because you're going to maximize your income by renting during the you know when the fish are biting. Yep. So yep. that that's that's key. That some some people don't think about. It seems obvious. Um, there's also um, you know just you know I kind of alluded to it you know cleaning out the fronts of your buildings clean up your laundry area you know sometimes you walk in these laundry areas it looks like you know something out of the walking dead you know and there's things moving in the corner you know <laughs> clean buildings fresh paint you know in the common areas you know a few thousand bucks you'll get that back in year one so yep you know that's huge um starting off the leases with that uh lease ending in the spring or summer um what about if they've been there for a couple of years? Do you continue uh, with that kind of annual lease or do you allow it to go month to month eventually? I do not like month to month. Okay. Um, we do. So here's a, here's a couple of tips. So we don't give a grace period. They are, the rent's due on the first. If you don't know where the first is, it, you know, around the 28th, start looking for it. Okay. I, I, it's just around the corner. All right. I, I, I've been willing to, I've even offered to hire a private investigator for some tenants to help them find the first. <laughs> So the um, uh, I, I have actually asked my sister-in-law about Henrietta. Um, so the it's, it's an ongoing joke, but the but you know but we don't give a grace period. Our late fee is eight percent of the past due amount. That is the state maximum in Minnesota. Why that? Because it's consistent. We don't have to wonder what it is. And I'll tell you what: if your grace period was the tenth of the month, you had a ten-day grace period. When do you think you'd get rent? The tenth. On the tenth, yeah. If you're lucky. Um, so why why do that to yourself? Like people, like my mortgage is. You know, my mortgage, they say, I don't get a late fee till the 15th. Well, I should probably pay it on the 14th, right? But here's the, you know, the, the thing I've, you know, I had one rent, one lease we inherited with a guy had like a 17-day grace period. And the tenant was a real jackass. Can I say jackass on this? Well, you just did. Okay, all right. He, he, I mean, that's the nicest word I could come up with. A donkey, he was a donkey. Um, anyway, um, he really was just a vile person. But the, I, you know, I, 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 and he was always rude to my staff. So finally, you know, I got, I got a little weary of it. Okay, so I just called him. I said, you know, you understand you don't get a late fee till the 17th. I understand that. You know, you've been really clear about that. But do you understand something? What day can I evict you for non-payment of rent? Well, 17th. I'm like, uh-uh. I can evict you on the 2nd. So guess when I'm going to start the eviction proceedings uh, next month? So what do you, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, yes, I can. Unless you change your tone, starting with me right now, be respectful to my staff, and we can coexist in harmony here. We got the rent on the first of the next month. So, and, and you know, the goal is not to be a jerk. Like, but you know what? If you want to maximize your revenue, if, if you've got people who are going to, look, we waive late fees all the time for the good tenants. You know, everyone has a, has a, they flub up once in a while, and that's okay. But if you know someone's not going to start not paying, you want to know by, you know, you want to be sending that demand letter by the 5th because it takes three or four weeks to get people out if they're not paying. And, you know, I've, I've, we've rented and managed, you know, through every 
socioeconomic strata that's out there. And, you know, it's just, it's, you know, I've been burned a lot by not having a system in place that you have. And, and again, you don't want to get a discrimination claim against you. So you have to be consistent across the board. And that's our, you know, that's our policy is to have systems and consistency, you know. Yep. And so anyway. You know, uh, that just reminded me back when I rented a place uh, many years ago. And uh, for some reason, we got the, the message that the rent was due on the 5th, even though it said in the lease it's due on the 1st, because the way that the whoever signed the lease with us was explaining it to us, you know, you have till the 5th. And so we just got it in our brains that, oh, we pay on the 5th. Yeah, and not true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be if the lease says it's due on the 5th. Right. You know, but... But yeah, so somebody later on was asking, so why do you always pay on the 5th? It's like, well, that's when it's due, isn't it? Oh, no, it's the 1st. Yeah, yeah, that's your grace period. And, and you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't like grace periods because they create confusion. Like, you know, you there, there's an unofficial grace period if, if you're a great tenant. And, you know, and, and we'll, we have the discretion to waive a late fee. But I will tell you another tip um, for those of you uh, in flyover country, like we are, um, put in your lease that there is a, two-month fee, a minimum of a, I, I, I wouldn't say minimum, but maybe min-max, whatever, about a two-month fee to break your lease. Plus, the tenants are responsible for paying rent until the new tenant, you know, that we place um, uh, begins paying. And the reason you do that is this. Um, we never charge two months, okay, as a management company. Uh, we we do a, you know we do a tenant warranty for people. We say with the exception if they need to break the lease and we can collect our fee from them. Uh, the reason we go two months is that I didn't used to put anything in there. Uh, this, the, the state allows for you know reasonable fees, which I think case laws showing that two months is reasonable. But we we when we didn't put anything in there, and we would quote any number to break the lease. Inevitably, we'd get complaining and whining and squawking, and you know, just like you know, someone was like sawing off a limb with some of these tenants. But now that we have a two-month fee, and we say, you know what, for you, you've been a great tenant. We're going to make this one month. Now, what have we just done? We've set the frame, and we've retreated from it. Now they feel an obligation to us because we have done an act of kindness. Whereas three years ago, or well, it's probably longer than that, six years ago, I might have said five hundred dollars, you know, and the rent might have been fifteen hundred dollars. They would have screamed bloody murder. So that's that's another tip, uh, something we learned. You know, set the frame, and then you create you create an obligate uh, like an obligation and reciprocity with the tenant. Mm -hmm. Yep. So very good. Well, uh, one other question I want to ask you about uh, management of my of our rental properties is so I'm trying to write down kind of a written plan, business plan for my properties, and it's not just for my investment business overall, but for specific properties and what I should be doing, systems and processes, so that when the, any type of issue comes up, that I know what to do. Um, what, what things do you think I maybe haven't thought of yet, or things that people, um, you know, it's been really effective for you to have in, in uh, operating a property? So you're, you're trying to, like, just anybody trying to create a business plan and, like, um, well... A lot of this depends on your level of experience. Okay. You know, starting out, uh, I, I don't think there's any reason to go it alone. You know, if you've got a, you know, your first duplex, hire a property manager. Like, even if it's just for a year and learn their systems and techniques and how they handle things. Like, you know, you can still learn um, 
through someone else's mistakes. Like, you know, I've personally paid a lot of tuition in my life. Uh, you know, it's sometimes you pay to, you know, well beyond college. Sometimes you pay with your, uh, with your time. Sometimes you pay with your checkbook. You, why wouldn't you want to take advantage of that? And in fact, you might say, you know what, for the, for the meager amount of money I'm paying this guy, you know, a lot of, a lot of times it's saving you money because the property manager, if they're good, if they're actually astute and are, you know, uh, you know, paying attention to what's going on in your property, what you pay is far less than what it would have cost you uh, if you had done it yourself. Plus, you learn some lessons along the way. Like, if you don't have access to maintenance people, like, you know, like, you know, our maintenance guys, we bill them out at, like, $45 and $80 an hour. The $80 an hour, they're, like, the really good ones. I mean, you're going to pay a licensed plumber or, you know, uh, you know, someone who may or may not be ethical. Who knows, right? Because, you know, the problem is, like, many of these properties, you could have a very ethical person coming in and say, yeah, you know, I see this is bad. This isn't the code. That's not the code. So you got to fix it all. No, you don't. Like, you know, you have different philosophies. Like, like me being in, the, you know, literally hundreds, if not thousands of properties in the last 20 years, I can tell you, okay, well, this is, you know, this is five years out. This is an immediate need. This could cause this problem. You know, our maintenance guys are the same way. Like, well, this could, you know, and, and you get, you're given options. Whereas some people live in a, you know, world of absolutes, right? So um, I, would, I would interview a couple property managers, see who's a good fit. If you're new, if you're starting out, um, and you might, and you focus on the big money, like buying another property, you know, and, and, and networking with people so you can get the next property because that's where you're building wealth. You're not building wealth trying to, you know, save $60 a unit in monthly property management fees, right? You want real wealth? You want to work, like, my, my, my wealth has been built by owning real estate and it's been built, uh, built up by owning, you know, building a company up. You know, that's, you know, because there's recurring revenue there. And that's my recommendation to everyone else. It's, it's, you know, it's a philosophy called who, not how. All right? You know, and, there, and I know there's people out there like, yeah, I want to do it all myself and because you know, and, and, and I want the experience. I get that. You can do some of it yourself. Right? Don't do it all yourself. Learn from those who've been there before you. That's my approach. I spend over $60,000 a year on coaching for me. Why do I do that? Oh, my gosh. That's, you're just wasting money. That's a, that's a year's salary. No. I am doing that because I want to be a better version of what I am today. And I want to learn from people who know more than me. And I'm, you know, the first thing you have to do is you check your ego at the door and say, you know what, I don't know everything. And I, I can leverage the talents of these other people to catapult me, you know, at a, a far different trajectory. Now, if you could be someone who says, oh, I, just, I just want to live in a duplex and, and you know, manage it myself, that's, that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you really want to change the trajectory of your growth, you need to surround yourself with people and leverage their time and experience. So that's the first thing I would do. I'd get a good, you know, build a great team of people who, again, are, are, are philosophically and morally and, um, I don't know, just, just you, you, you feel that, right? You feel that people are aligned with your, with your goals and you have a connection. And, you know, keep, keep talking to people until you find someone like that. Yeah. And, you, you know, one, one, one more thing, sorry. Because uh, you, you asked me another question there, which you didn't, but... You're going to outgrow some people, too. That's the hardest thing that we all, like, we have doing sometimes. Is, uh, is letting go of the people that you outgrew. And, you know, example, I have several friends I've outgrown. Great people, but you know what? They're just not where I am right now. You know, mentally, morally, ethically, wherever, you know. And I have professionals I've outgrown. 
you know, I've got a couple I need to uh, make a change right now, and I've been dragging my feet because I'm very loyal, and, and I love these people. I love them. I mean, they're just they're good people. But if I want to go to the next step and build wealth for my family and achieve prosperity, I need to find the next. I need to get the next the next step. And these people can't get me there, uh, and, and and that's okay. Like you don't don't never feel shame about aspiring to be more. You know, do I want, do, do, I, do I need, do I have to justify things I want? Absolutely not. You want what you want, and that's okay. And that's my, that's another, you know, advice I give people. Be okay with wanting more. There's people are going to try to pull you down and try to tell you that you're greedy or that, you know, you don't need that to be happy or, you know, you shouldn't be doing that because it's, you know, it's, it's you know, people from where we're from just don't think that way. Yeah, trust me, I've had to, like, I grew up the poorest kid in my school. I had to fight a lot of those voices in my head, and I do today. It's a constant battle against your mind every day. And I, I, I recommend you know, treat your mind and its limiting beliefs like you treat your hand when you want to pick something up. All right? The hand, you're, a, you're a being with a hand. It's like you're a being with a mind. Control your mind like you do your hand and, and make it and, and bend it to your will. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Well, a uh, great takeaway there is to just make sure you have the right people around you uh, that are going to help you achieve what you need to do. Liz, I want to just get your take on where the market's going. We all have been uh, hearing a lot about affordable uh, housing issues. And also just a lot of us investors have been experiencing some great growth in our, our rental incomes. Um, but we're kind of wondering how long can it really continue? Um, so not asking you to be an economist, but just based on your, you know, the properties you have and how quickly they're renting up and how much increases there have been going on, you know, how long do you think we're going to continue on this way? Ah, uh, the the twelve trillion dollar question there, right? You know, I've I've lived in a constant state of paranoia for about three years because I'm keep thinking, gosh, it's just not going to get any better. It just can't get any better, and then it does. And I'm like, well, this is it. You know, we're, we've been in the eighth and the half inning. You know, it's the bottom of the ninth here uh, for about three or four years and we keep chugging and we keep chugging. The thing is, it, it is going to turn at some point. And, you know, there's some people that would argue that it might be turning a little bit in the class A stuff, you know, where you're, you know, the rents are two and a half, three dollars plus square foot. Uh, you wouldn't know you, the, I believe what was it the walkway building uh, just sold in uptown and I, I want to say Chase bought it originally from the developer who I know, and I think they just sold it for like a $10 million loss. Okay, they paid like 500000 a unit when they bought it and sold it for much less than that. So there, there have been some blunders already. Um, you know, but you know, you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing some consolidation um, in units with some of the bigger players here locally. And at values that I still think are just phenomenal. So what's going to happen? What happened the last time? Well, the, when, when we, the last real rental market bust we saw wasn't in 2008-9. In fact, that's when it started improving dramatically because uh, people were losing their homes or were moving to rental. Uh, what you saw there was a you – know, so the last kind of bust was like 2003-04 back when uh, lending standards basically didn't exist and they were they went from zero to low to less than zero mm -hmm. and you saw all these renters moving into buying and god bless renters and god bless people but you know not everyone is equipped to be buying a house you know you 
banks tend to be a little less forgiving than landlords, and the consequence is a little more dire when you don't make your mortgage payment. Um, I'm starting to see the, you know, we used to have subprime loans, now we have non-prime loans, and I'm seeing a, a shift in uh, a degradation, if you will, of lending standards on, you know, we, we have a brokerage, you know, we have 20 plus agents in our, our brokerage side, so and they're primarily residential people. I tend to do more investment property, you know, work, but um, but we're seeing, and I get a lot of emails from different lenders all the time talking about, oh, you know, no, no job, no income, 500 credit. We got a fix for that, you know, <laughs> buy a house. So what, what's, I see some air going in the, in, the, in the bubble again, right? And the question is not if it'll pop, you know, it's when and how severe will it be? And, and many people are pointing to the, this debt bubble we have, right? Commercial debt bubble. And as long as rates stay low, we kick the can down the road. If you look at the, the national debt, what's going to happen, you know, if there's a major shock to the system there. The, the thing is, though, we're the best place in the world to put money. Where else in the world are you going to go put money that's better than the United States of America? Nowhere. Like, it, it, absolutely nowhere. There's, there's nowhere that's better. You can argue there's places that are pretty good, fine. But when, when we get a debt crisis, that's where we're going to see some dramatic shifts. When we finally overbuild, you know, you know, if rates go up three points, you know, and then people, you know, have, you know, a lot of five and seven year uh, notes out there, even 10 that are at, you know, two, three, you know, probably not 2%, but, you know, in the threes and fours, say that's six or seven, you know, suddenly that, that investment property you bought, you're upside down on your cash flow. So, so kind of two different things here, right? Like supply demand on the rental side, you know, how fast are we building? And then what happens with debt, and when will that cause a crash? You know, the answer always is it depends, right? And, 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 and I will say, you know, if you're in class B, class C, you're much more insulated against corrections, right? Um, but we'll, we'll see it at the top first, you know, and, and there's people arguing it's happening right now here locally. Um, and it probably is because no one's ever really honest about, you know, where they're at. You know, I'm, I'm aware of a few new buildings that have opened and are, you know, 40% occupied, you know, after six months. That's, that's bad. Yeah. That's bad. Many of these, they, they got to operate at 90 plus for it to make any sense at all, you know, based on what they, they're paying for construction and what they're paying for, um, you know, operating expenses and stuff. So when is it going to happen? My, if you want me to give a number? I'll say uh, fall of, well, <laughs> This may not be popular politically, but, you know, I have a belief that if Trump gets back in, uh, the plates keep spinning, you know, for you know, another year or two. Uh, if he does not, then it probably we're going to see a correction because the new administration is probably going to let it go and let it correct and say, well, it's because of Trump. And, you know, that's not me supporting or, you know, trying to bash him. It's just kind of the way of things. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think it's a good point you made that uh, the housing market is – is related to, but not directly tied to the rental market. So. Absolutely, like it's it's there, there's no there's sometimes an inverse correlation between rental and, and housing, like we saw back during the crash. Yep. So, well, wonderful, Scott. You've shared quite a bit of uh, great information here. Uh, before I let you go here, I want to give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better, and I want to ask you why do you get up in the morning. Because my wife spends so much money that I got to, yeah, I gotta, 
it's like the the analogy, you know, in, in the savannah. Every day the fastest gazelle, or the every the gazelle knows he has to outrun the the fastest tiger to survive in the in the or tiger line. I screwed that up. Every morning in the savannah, we're gonna start over. Every morning in the savannah, the gazelle knows he must outrun the fastest lion to survive. And every morning the lion wakes up knowing he has to outrun the slowest gazelle to survive. Well, I don't know if I'm the lion or the gazelle, but I'm running. Um, the, the, the reality, the moral is, is, you know, whether you are the lion or, or the gazelle, when you wake up in the morning, start running. You know, I, the, the, the honest answer, and I'm trying to be funny, but the honest answer is that I, I really enjoy learning. I really enjoy being better. Like there's a, I have an insatiable desire to expand all areas of my life, you know, expand my consciousness, expand my businesses, help as many, you know, by helping as many people as I can, uh, you know, giving to as many people as I can without asking for anything in return. Um, I, uh, I have twin five-year-old sons. I have a wife. I love that I can provide them experiences in life. It's not, it, it's, it's, you know, the money, you know, it's important to have money. Like, you know, let's not be ashamed of, you know, having money. But your know, money can be exchanged for you know, experiences, right? And sometimes you don't need a lot of money to have experience. Sometimes you don't need any money to experience things like a sunrise, a sunset, you know, a really good thunderstorm, a good snowstorm, a run on a really cold day. I went for a run yesterday. It was four degrees. It was like, ah, my body hasn't adapted yet. But, the, um, but you know, go for a run or a walk when it's 10 below outside. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful experience. The, but you know, I, you know, I've recently found out that uh, I've, I've got a brain tumor um, that ha- you know, that could have crushed a lot of people. It does. It, it, is, it, it puts people, it, it has the ability to, you know, you have to face your mortality and, you know, like, could this be the instrument of my destruction? And for me, I took a different approach. I wanted, and I, I have a, a YouTube channel called Tumor Tales, which I created where I'm chronicling my adventures through uh through brain cancer, and um, I decided to take a different approach. Um, from the you know the, the morning after the diagnosis, there's a video on my YouTube channel. You know, I, I did a video of, of gratitude, uh, gratitude that you know what this is something that I'm going to go through. Uh, this is something I, that is going to I'm going to learn from. Uh, that's that's here. I don't need to be afraid of it. But I also you know I do need to have gratitude for the fact that I'm alive. Like there are some people who die in a car crash. They have a massive heart attack. They, uh, you know, my brother-in-law, love my brother-in-law. His dad, great, great guy, picking his golf bag out of his car, has a, you know, like an aneurysm, brain bleed, and in- instant vegetative state. And, and my brother-in-law and his sister had to pull a plug on, and his, you know, his wife Margie, and his name is Mike Dewar. And you know, like I, I, I quote that a lot because he never got to say goodbye. He never got a chance to fight. Like he never got a chance to you know be curious about what's happening to him, and you know this is you know something health related. Like I'm, I'm very curious. It's amazing what I've learned. I've decided to take an integrative uh, approach to fighting, uh, or to getting through this. And what is that? It means like you know doing things like changing my diet. You know, there's you know, re, you know doing a calorie restricted diet, trying to you know starve the tumor, uh, depriving it of you know my body of carbohydrates, which Sugar, which guys, if you're if you're listening to this, stop with the sugar and the carbs. Stop, or cut them down. Cut, get rid of that sugar. There's stuff called monk fruit that you can use as sweetener. Check it out. It's 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 so 
the glycemic index is almost a zero when you're using monk fruit and it tastes just like sugar. So that's my that's one of my health tips for today. The rest of them you have to watch my YouTube channel. But the uh, but but really getting into the you know the, the integrative approach, like trying to, you know, healthier lifestyle options, things that boost your immune system, anti-inflammatory, just you know intermittent fasting. These are all things I didn't know anything about three months ago, and it's just fascinating to me. Like there's this whole area of of uh, integrative medicine that exists, and you know, that that gets me excited. You know, because look, I'll, I'll tell you the stats. Not to freak anybody out, but I, my preference is to live for about 60 or 70 more years. Um, there's huge results in, in science with longevity right now. Uh, look, at, look at Peter Diamandis, um, amazing, doing amazing stuff. There's Abundance 360 Conference. Maybe not for everyone, but just check out Peter Diamandis and what he's doing. Um, uh, 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 Dave Osprey, he's one who, who uh, invented Bulletproof Coffee. He just wrote a book called Superhuman. Check these guys out. And there's, there's tons of other ones, but... The um, the stats on, on brain cancer are pretty pretty uh, pretty alarming, you know. And, and, well, I'll back it up. Stats on cancer are alarming. One of every two people are going to have cancer in their life, some kind of cancer. So you either know, knew someone, know someone, or will know someone who is going to be stricken with this affliction. All right. Um, I asked everyone to look at integrative. Uh, approach to it because it gives you some other options. For brain cancer, if you go on the traditional Western approach, the stats are, are alarming. It's two out of every three people are dead in five years, all right, if, you know, once they, they receive treatment. Um, and then, you know, the people beyond that, you know, five years, the one out of three that survive, you know, it's kind of alarming, like, you know, what kind of a lifestyle they may have. It may not be great. So, you know, I was faced with the instrument of, of my destruction, I, and I, I've decided to opt to make this the tool of my liberation. Not just from it itself, but also my mindset and changing the frame of how I look at at medicine and health and lifestyle. So that's a little bit about me, you know. It's kind of you know, morbid, exciting, you know. But no, well, I mean, uh, like you've said, uh, one in two people are going to face cancer in their lives. So uh, it's really important for us to be talking about it. Uh, it's, it's a little bit off topic from this show, however, it's really important. Um, yeah, you know, and it's this authenticity, right? Like, you know, people like, you know, don't be afraid to talk about it. You know, that's that's how we um, that's how we get better. You know, yeah. by by having conversations about it and and and, and looking for truth and you know and learning. Like, yeah. well, and I really appreciate your perspective on it. And you know, like you said, some people might get a diagnosis and just be like, "Well, that's it. Uh, throw my hands up. Uh, start packing my bags." And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm gonna go pick out a plot in the cemetery. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna win. And and you know, your mindset like you're you're there's a there's a very important mental component to uh, health, right? And there's a very important uh, gut component, like that your 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 gut biome is very important to your immune system and stuff. So, you know, what you put into our bodies, what we put on our bodies, topically, you know, like deodorants and even things like toothpaste, even things like chlorine in our water. Yeah, I encourage people to do a little homework on that. You know, it's you know not everything we are told that is safe is safe. You know, and but more than anything, just be willing to think critically, be curious. Like it, it, I always like one of my favorite lines is like at some point you look at a child, like they're curious. The questions they ask are amazing. They're fascinating. I, you know, my five year old, I, I hear what they say, and it's just like the world is just this wonderful like all things are possible place. And then at some point in our lives, curiosity just gets beaten out of us by life. Yeah. You know, try to reclaim that because it, 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 it makes you happier. Yeah. Like that when you find answers that you didn't think were there. Yeah. 
Well, great. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, well, before I let you go, I want to give you just a small token of my appreciation for you coming in. This hey. is the official Maximizing Your Property Value mug. And uh, I feel wealthier already. Hope you enjoy that. Awesome. Thank so. you. Thank All you right. so much. Thank you to our audience for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this show. If you did, be sure to share it out. And we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks, John. Yep. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investment in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.